Hey detective, welcome to the Nancy Drew Rendezvous, a podcast where we take a chronological look at all the books in the Nancy Drew Files series. I'm your host Teagues and today's case is case 36, Over the Edge. When I first started doing this podcast, every time I would do a Google search for Nancy Drew in like the image search, uh, the cover of this book would always come up. And Nancy in her purple shirt or top was just always in my face. And in fact, uh, I made a happy International Women's Day post back in March 2020. And I used Nancy from the cover of this book on that post. So yeah, this book is always popping up in front of me. And it was so good to finally get up to it to cover it. Just want to say a huge shout out to everyone that has emailed me. I love conversing back and forth with you about all things Nancy Drew. You really are the highlight of my days. And if you haven't already, I'd love if you could leave a review on iTunes or any podcasting platform of your choice to help more people find the podcast. It would mean heaps to me. Thank you very much in advance. Okay, so Over the Edge came out in June 1989, and let's see what was happening in the world back then. So, as I've mentioned over the past couple of episodes, the Tiananmen Square protests uh, had begun, and unfortunately, it was a very, very sad month of June 1989, where thousands of lives were lost due to the Chinese military. So, very, very sad point of time in our history. In more happier news, though, the groundbreaking began in Minnesota to build the world's largest mall, which back then it was Mall of America. But unfortunately, the title of world's largest mall has been taken over by the Dubai Mall these days. As for the songs that were on the top of the Billboard charts, we have I'll Be Loving You by New Kids on the Block, Wind Beneath My Wings by Bette Midler, and Satisfied by Richard Marks. Just a little side note on Wind Beneath My Winds um, by Bette Midler. Uh, everyone says that my mother looks exactly like her. Um, so every time I hear her name, I always think of my mum because my mum used to complain about getting told that she looks like her. I don't know why. Bette Midler is beautiful. She's a stunning woman. I'll be quite happy to be told that I look like her. <laughs> and not only that, June uh, 1989 was a huge month for some movie releases. We've got some cult classics in there and like not only cult classics, but really popular movies to this day, which include Batman, A Dead Poet Society, Ghostbusters 2 and Honey, I Shrunk the Kids. I loved that movie when I was a kid. We watched it so many times at school. Uh, yeah, really, really classic movie. Maybe I'll have to revisit it to see if I love it as much as I used to. And after all that's been said and done, let's get into the discussion of the book, starting off with the cover discussion. So we're up to book 36, Over the Edge, and on the cover of this, Nancy is standing on her side. She is wearing a purple blouse, as I mentioned earlier, and some black jeans. Now, this book takes place at an outdoor adventure resort, and I don't think this outfit is very, very suitable for <laughs> the location that the book is taking place. So I don't know what's happening there. In the middle, we've got our attractive man who's wearing jeans and a plaid shirt. He's blonde, he's attractive. And in the background, we've got a white Jeep with someone standing in. See, to me, it would be the driver's side because we drive on the right-hand side of the car. Um, but 
in America, I know that they drive on the left-hand side of the car. Anyway, someone's standing up in what I would think would be, you know, the driver's seat um, with their hands up. I assume it's Nancy. Um, And then there's a hang glider that's crashing into the Jeep that well, that's what it looks like. I know for a fact, because I've read the book, <laughs> that um, it's there is no situation where a hang glider crashes into a Jeep, unlike this cover wants to lead us to believe otherwise. So yeah, the cover doesn't really give anything away except there's hang gliders in the book. <laughs> so after all said and done, let's talk about the book. I think I've said that at least three times now. <laughs> I'm sorry, I apologize, detective. So our three favorite girls are in Oregon. They're traveling to a case in the Pacific Northwest, which I must say is such a beautiful part of the United States of America. I really, really, really wanted to move to Portland when I was younger. I'd still love to live in the area, but I'd probably prefer Washington State now. I just love all the beautiful tall trees and the wet weather and just everything. One of my good friends lives near Seattle and I love going to visit them and just seeing all the beautiful scenery. So the girls are driving along a steep scenic road and there's a, like a beach below and Bess is really panicking. To be honest with you, Bess has been in numerous situations where Nancy's driving and something bad has happened and they've always been fine. So I think Bess needs to trust Nancy a little bit more. Nancy is a fully capable, great driver. As we used to say in the early episodes, she brings out her NASCAR driving skills all the time. However, having said that, they are in an open-top Jeep, which we saw on the cover, so who knows how safe that actually is. If it topples over, they might hurt their heads or something. Let's hope they are buckled in. They joke to Bess that it makes no sense that she's panicking because she was in a plane only hours earlier, and that would be a lot more scary as it's like a metal tin in the sky. However, Bess, bless her heart, says the plane has food and cute boys, so it's much ever, uh, much better rather. <laughs> yeah, Bess, I'm going to have to agree with you there. I love flying because they feed you. Like, Bess is just after my own heart, like food and cute boys, but not so much the cute boys for me because I have my own Ned Nickerson. <laughs> Lucky me. I love airplane food and I love seeing what they bring out. Yes, I know that there's a menu on long haul flights, but the desserts and whatnot are always a surprise. They finally arrive at Club High Adventure. Imagine a ski resort, but for hiking and rock climbing, parasailing, and all those other outdoor activities. Martha Phillips, the daughter of one of Carson Drew's friends, has requested Nancy's help as her and her guests have received death threats and are worried it will ruin the resort. Nancy jokes that hopefully the case is over quickly and then that they can make use of the resort. This is just the type of place George and Nancy would love. Bess will probably hang out by the pool and spa and scout for cute boys. The resort sounds amazing. It's set deep in the woods, which sounds absolutely beautiful. There is even a lake. Okay, I want to go to this resort. I wonder if there's anything like that here in Australia. I guess our ski resorts, the very few that we have, would probably have something open in the summer months to, I don't know, make it so they don't lose money. But at the same time, there's probably bushfires happening in the area and it's not safe to go. 
Anywho, the action arrives the moment they arrive when they see a hang glider. George is saying that she would love to do that and Nancy agrees. Beth calls them both crazy just as a falls out of the sky and crashes so okay there was a hang glider crashing in front of the jeep so maybe that's what the part of the book was I mean it didn't crash into the jeep but it crashed nearby so the girls rush over Nancy does some expecting of the person's bones and other vitals and thankfully the person who was riding the hang glider isn't it doesn't have any broken bones but is out cold Uh, immediately two staffers appear, Marva, the person who requested Nancy's help, and another man who is her assistant, Gil Forrest. The crash victim is auburn-haired Lisa Gregson. Marva immediately starts laying into Gil, calling him a lousy instructor and that he could have killed her. Okay, that's a bit rough. Um, I guess, you know, if someone does have an accident on your resort, then you're liable, I guess, unless you sign a waiver. Anyway, Lisa thankfully wakes up, mutters something about the glider not responding, and then says that she's fine. Gil takes her to the infirmary at the resort, and Mava is giving him an unhappy frown as he kept his arm around Lisa longer than necessary. Immediately, I'm already finding this relationship between Gil and Marva a little bit weird. Like, what's the deal with Marva? She does apologize for snapping at him, but he's rude and short with her afterwards. And yeah, I still don't know why she's frowning at Gil. Anyway. Nancy inspects the glider to see if it has been tampered with, but she knows nothing about hang gliders, so doesn't know what to look for. She figures that she'll get Gil to check it out later. I'm sure that George will know enough, though. She uh, seemed to know a lot about hang gliding when they were pulling into the place. I don't know. I guess it's best to leave it to the professionals. Good call, Nancy. Mother is worried that it may have been a sabotage as Lisa was the first person to receive a death threat. Also, Lisa is a very experienced hang glider and that mixed with her comments about the hang glider not responding has Marva convinced that this was no accident and that it was done on purpose. She also does say that despite accusing him of otherwise, Gil is an experienced para... para is it parasailing? Hang sailing? Hang gliding rather. Hang on. I need to like Google the difference between these. Okay. So paragliding and hang gliding are totally different. In hang gliding, the pilot is laying down in a horizontal position under the A-frame using the body to turn. In paragliding, you sit upright in a harness and control the chute with your hands. All right. So Tegan, it's hang gliding. Stop saying parasailing by accident. Marva is extremely stressed out. If something is wrong with Lisa, her father would sue her and then her insurance would be cancelled. Honestly, that's a bit weird to me. You're a high-risk sport resort. Surely the insurance wouldn't cancel after one incident. But Marva is convinced that incidents coupled with the threats is not a good sign. Marva is still in full-on panic mode and Nancy promises to help her out. There's a lot of scenery being pointed out in this book, and I wish I could just share it all, except this would be like a five-hour-long podcast. One cute thing they do mention is a little meadow and stream where deer come to drink each evening. Oh, man, I really, really want to go to this resort. It seems so sublime, almost like the school camps I went to as a child. Just imagine sitting there at sunset with, like, the deer, like, drinking the water, and you have a little picnic, and... 
Anyway, <laughs> Marva takes the girls to their cabin. It's fancy with a stone fireplace, a full bath and two bedrooms. I guess Bess and George will be the ones sharing the room. It also has a TV, stereo and VCR with all the cassettes and videos they could ask for. I miss going and seeing what videotapes and CD places have, uh, like when you go to a, like a motel or a bed and breakfast. These days, it's all Netflix and Spotify. Uh, much to mine and Bess's delight, the fridge and pantry are absolutely stocked with drinks and snacks. Once the girls have settled in, Marva explains the death threats. They started when Lisa and her roommates, Sarah and Kirsten, arrived. Lisa received the first threat. Nancy asked if any of the guests left suddenly without explanation prior or acted weird or nervous, but Marva says that if there was, she didn't notice. There have also been a bunch of other smaller issues such as the sauna heater breaking, a guest room flooding as they left the tap on, and the freezer in the kitchen lock breaking, so now it can't be open from the inside. They are waiting for a part to arrive so it can be fixed. Alright, I'm calling it now, Nancy is going to get locked in the freezer. And I just want to reiterate, I did say when I was reading the cover, or like talking about the cover of the book, I said I've read the book, so I know it's not that. So how I record is I will write my script as I'm reading the book, and then that's the main like chunk of the podcast. And all the parts before, I kind of like ad lib. So the uh the cover discussion. I will talk about it, but not have it scripted or anything like that. I hope that makes sense. <laughs> Marva continues going on about all the issues, the icing on the cake being that she's in a bad financial situation. She can't go to the police because if it leaks to the press, people will be turned off from going to Club High Adventure. As for the notes, they were written on Marva's personal stationery. So whoever wrote these notes has access to her stationery. So I'm going to guess immediately that it's one of the staff members. Uh, Nancy wants to know what the notes said. Lisa's note simply said, you will die. Sarah, who is Lisa's roommate, said... Uh, well, hers actually was just a photo of her with an X scratched through her face. And the other roommate, Christian, had a type, or Kirsten rather, had a tape in a Walkman that said, keep an eye on your friends or you might find yourself in serious danger. <laughs> okay, that's a yikes. The whole like, you know, scary note on a cassette. It kind of reminds me of 13 Reasons Why, if anyone has seen that Netflix series. Other guests just got notes left in their cabin despite saying that they locked their doors. So someone with a key has access to their cabins. It has to be the staff. Hmm, this is also weird. It seems that a lot of people are getting them, not just one person. Marva continues telling them a man named Larry Quinn received the most recent one. He threw his away. He figured it was just a prank. Gil thinks they are just pranks too. Oh, and we also learn that Gil is Marva's fiance. So that explains the jealousy and the weird looks that Marva gave to Gil when he had his arm around Lisa. Uh, and to top it off, Gil is trying to convince Marva to sell the club, but Marva flat out refuses to. Okay, detectives, well, my early theory is that Gil is behind all this. He knows how to tamper with a hang glider to make something just look like an accident. And he also wants money. So maybe he's hoping that these notes scare Marva enough to sell the business because we know that money is the biggest motivator for all these accidents and mysteries and stuff that's happened in previous books. 
Later on that day, Nancy goes to freshen up while Bess and George have gone exploring. She puts on some denim shorts and a striped soccer shirt. They didn't say what color the soccer shirt was, but for some reason, I just imagine pastel green and white stripes. And not long after, a screen breaks out and Marva appears claiming that Larry Quinn, one of the people who had received the notes, has been killed. However, he's not dead. The writer just needed a cliffhanger for the end of the chapter because we all know that the Nancy Drew file chapters end with a cliffhanger, every single one of them. Actually, 99.9% of the chapters. Sometimes it's just Nancy saying, oh, I have to solve this mystery no matter what, uh, which is interesting because we just don't need like a terrible incident in every single ending of the chapter. So Larry gets attended to, and again, Marva is in full panic mode. She wonders why Larry was on the trail alone despite numerous signs saying otherwise. Nancy investigates the area and finds some stones set up in a way that could make someone purposely trip. So two incidents so far. Who is out to get Marva and at the cost of the guests? It's like if you're out to get Marva and the club, why are you attacking the guests? That makes no sense. So Nancy immediately gets to work on the case by looking at the death threats in Marva's office. Gil walks in while they're doing this and he and Marva bicker. Those two don't seem like a couple in love. They're always bickering. Gil is surprised to learn about Larry's incident. He knew nothing about it because he was taking Lisa to the infirmary. Gil tells Marva that she's overreacting and these type of incidents come with the territory. Marva is upset that he's not upset about these incidents at all. I mean, he's just being rational, Marva. I mean, it is scary to get death threats and whatnot, but these accidents could have just been pure accidents. It's just a coincidence that they got death threats as well. Anyway, Gil tries to comfort her, but she's still freaking out about everything. Gil just gets fed up and storms off. I don't blame him. I wouldn't stand there and just get yelled at for no reason either. Marva goes into a triad that no one will make her sell club high adventure, not even Gil. Okay, that's cool, Marva. We get it. Nancy will get to the bottom of this and everything will be a-okay. Nothing sticks out from the notes, but Nancy keeps them for safekeeping. Maybe something will link back to them later on in the mystery. Next, it's time to check on Larry's cabin. However, a set of keys is missing when Marva goes to give a set to Nancy. Did Gil simply give Larry a spare because he lost his and forget to tell Marva, or is it something more sinister? Hmm. Do 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 do. On the way to Larry's cabin, Nancy runs into Gil. He rudely told her that he was busy when she checked to see if he had taken a look at the glider. Nancy ignores his rudeness and is all like, well, do it soon. The sooner, the better. I love how Nancy takes no rubbish from anyone. So earlier, like Nancy was noticing all the signs that said people shouldn't be walking on the track alone um, and that she was like scrolling at them type of kind of thing uh nancy decides to walk on the track alone she doesn't think that the track is that dangerous at all it's only scary if you're afraid of heights okay nancy fair enough that you're brave but it's probably best to leave that decision up to the staff members speaking of staff members she runs into a man called al hunt aka uncle l the rock climbing instructor who is a monster of the person of a person rather he's super tall and at least a hundred pounds heavier than nancy 
all pure muscle. He tells her off for walking along the track alone and then invites her to one of his classes and, you know, acts really friendly, you know, telling Nancy, oh, I'm sorry for being all intimidating. So after that kind of meetup, he seems nice enough and I like him. Nancy then passes Lisa, Sarah and Kirsten's cabin and knocks on the door uh, to ask some questions. A girl with shiny black hair cut in a short feathered style that emphasizes her deep set jade eyes, uh, which Nancy notes are tinted with contact lenses. Uh, Yeah, opens the door and identifies herself as Sarah. She doesn't want a bar of Nancy. She's dressed in heels, a lavender string bikini and matching robe and says that she's in a hurry to get to the pool, probably to meet a boy. I think her and Bess might become friends later on in the book. Nancy tries to get her to talk to no avail. All she says is, look, you don't know Lisa Gregson. I do. That crash was no accident. Well, Sarah, let Nancy talk so you can help, uh, you know, figure out what happened to your friend. Like if my friend was in an accident and someone was trying to help, I would be very cooperative. I just don't know what uh, Sarah's deal is. Also, it's kind of like when you watch cop shows on TV, especially Law and Order, like Detective Benson and whoever Ice-T's character's name is. I can't think of it off the top of my head. Detective Tutiola, I think it is. Yeah, anyway, whenever they're going to talk to someone, the person doesn't give them their full attention. They just speak while continuing to do their job or clean their house or something. I find it so weird. Is that just an American thing that you continue going about your business while getting interviewed by police? Anyway, I digress. This Sarah girl just doesn't want to talk to Nancy and she saunters off to the pool with her heels getting stuck in the dirt, which I audibly laughed out loud too. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, like why are you wearing heels at a nature resort? Um, Then Nancy goes to check out Larry's cabin. She finds his note, which reads, leave the club today and you'll live, stay and you'll die. The person leaving these notes is not doing a very good job of killing their targets. This person is a lame murderer. I mean, he's a good murderer because he's not killing people, but if you can't be a murderer unless you kill people. And <laughs> okay, never mind. <laughs> anyway, so she finishes inspecting his cabin and decides to make herself at home. She heads out to the balcony and it's absolutely beautiful out there. It overlooks the sea. The balcony is on a top of a cliff and below there are seagulls and sea lions just playing about. She closes her eyes, really, really taking in the moment as you do when you're just in someone else's cabin that doesn't belong to you. However, the next thing she realizes is that she's being picked up and thrown over the edge of the balcony to the rocks below. And we all know that that was the end of a chapter. So Nancy's falling to her death. How will she save herself? Oh, and by the way, the beach is 44 feet below her, like the rocks, which is 12 meters for us metric folk, or approximately three stories. Thankfully, Nancy manages to grab onto the railing of the balcony and heaves herself up. Thankfully, the attacker is gone, so he can't just like, you know, push her back over. So in order to just pick somebody up and throw them over a balcony, it would need to be a strong person. And who else would be that strong except for Uncle Al? So I'm guessing it was Uncle Al that threw Nancy over the edge. 
The sudden grabbing of the balcony railing really, really hurt Nancy's shoulder and she's in a world of pain. So she heads back to her cabin and Bess and George are surprised to see her in such a terrible state. Despite being nearby hiking, George saw nobody leaving the cabin or the area except a couple totally engrossed in each other. Nancy figures that the person slipped through the trees behind, like nearby instead of using the path, so they probably knew the area well. Nancy has a theory about this, but she doesn't share it with us, and that's really frustrating when that happens. Again, the person knows the area well. Uh, they have access to keys and whatnot, so it definitely has to be be a staff member but we've only met Gil, Uncle L and Marva so I guess it's one of those three people. Gil has access to everything I don't know if he's strong enough to throw Nancy over but yeah I can't even remember what it looks like did they talk about his physical description? Um, okay so I went back he's tanned with light brown hair they don't mention his physical description at all um, but if he's into outdoor sports, we assume that he's strong and fit. And we also know that he wants Marva to sell. So maybe if more dangerous things happen, it will scare Marva enough to get her to sell. Also, like I said, uh, Uncle Al could have easily picked Nancy up and thrown her over the balcony, but we don't know enough about him yet. We don't know what his motive could be. Despite this incident, Nancy is determined to continue on the case. I think these people really need to know or learn that threatening Nancy never makes her stop investigating. If anything, it actually makes it more likely that they're going to get caught because, you know, it's someone that Nancy's interacted with because they know that Nancy's on the case. I feel like all the criminals in these stories are so, so dumb. So Nancy goes to continue investigating, but for some reason she doesn't tell Bess and George what her plans are, and then goes and breaks into Lisa, Sarah, and Kirsten's cabin again. After Sarah said, look, you don't know Lisa Gregson like I do, Nancy's very curious. She figures that, you know, she needs to learn more about the girls. In Lisa's room, she finds a photo of her and a boy who is scrolling but good-looking. A ton of designer clothes and a letter dated the night before reads, My adorable Roy, I can't tell you how much I miss you. I have your picture where I can look at it constantly. I wish I could reach out and touch you as easily as I touch the photo. I hate my father for making me stop seeing you. He just doesn't understand how it is with us. He never will. I just know it. But I have a plan that's going to make him sorry, really sorry. Hmm, interesting. So Lisa's father doesn't like Roy, who I assume is the person in the photo. And it could be the couple that George saw making out together. However, she probably would have recognized Lisa from the hang gliding incident since George was there. Nancy also finds a newspaper clipping with a photo of the boy and Lisa in handcuffs with a police officer. The clipping reads, Lisa Gregson, daughter of prominent real estate businessman Greg Gregson, was arrested for shoplifting today. This is the second time in three months for Miss Gregson. Hmm, interesting. She's a bad girl and this Roy boy seems to be a bad influence on her. Suddenly, Nancy hears people return to the cabin and Nancy hides in the wardrobe and then makes her escape when the coast is clear. Every single time Nancy breaks into somewhere, people always return. Always. I'm trying to think of a situation where the person didn't return. I mean, I guess someone didn't return to Larry's cabin because Larry is in the hospital, but I don't know. It's just like, when will Nancy learn? 
So at dinner that evening, Bess tells Nancy that she can stay on the case as long as she wants because the food at the resort is delicious and she's just going to eat and lay around the pool. George teases her about getting fat. And I'm so, so tired of George body shaming Bess. Just because Bess isn't the exercise obsessed person you are, George, doesn't mean you can shame her. Like, just be happy with however you look. George suggests going for a jog, but Bess says she'll rather dance while oogling a hunk who passes by their table. I really feel like George is projecting her insecurities onto Bess because George exercises nonstop, I guess, maybe not just because she enjoys it, but she insists on keeping such her slim figure that the books always describe her as having, well, her slim athletic figure. Um, and yeah, she's just annoyed that she has to work so hard about her body, whereas for her body, whereas like Bess can be lazy and eat a lot of food and boys still like swoon over her. I, I don't know. Like it just, it really bothers me. There's some weird like dynamic happening between the two cousins. Over dinner, they discuss the case. Lisa is Nancy's main suspect. Even though she was meant to be in the infirmary, she was there alone, so no alibi. And because no one has checked the glider, we don't know if it was tampered with and she could have faked the incident, maybe pretending to be out cold. Nancy figures the girl lacks attention and the notes didn't start to show up until she did. I guess this theory makes sense, but I doubt it. It all seems a little bit too far-fetched. She couldn't have thrown Nancy over the railing, but Nancy probably thinks that she's working with somebody. Nancy has booked her and George in for a hang gliding lesson the next morning. Oh gosh, here we go. This sounds like not safe. Somebody is going to have a bad time. At the class, Gil straight up says that hang gliding doesn't require a lot of strength. So if that's the case, maybe Gil isn't as strong isn't that strong rather and wouldn't be able to throw Nancy over the edge of the balcony. We learn the ins and outs of hang gliding. This will probably come in handy later knowing what these books are like. Gil also tells Nancy she's a natural at it. I'd just like to note however that they haven't even jumped off a cliff, just run around with the gliders hoping that they take off. Nancy will probably have a hang gliding incident and her natural skill will save her. Gil also tells them that there was a bend in Lisa's glider that shouldn't be there considering it landed on the other side. Gil believes that it was done deliberately and that they knew what they were doing as there was just enough damage to affect the control but not enough that an experienced pilot would have too much difficulty saving him or herself. Well, this just puts more concrete in Nancy's theory that Lisa did this to herself. Next on today's schedule is a rock climbing lesson with Uncle Al. It's a long hike to the top of Devil's Rock where the lesson is to take place. We see Uncle Al's bad side when he gets angry at two men talking amongst themselves and not paying attention. He grabs one of them and his elbow pushes the other, causing him to slip and begin falling off the edge of the cliff. That's a bit weird, don't you think? Wouldn't a rock climbing lesson take place at the bottom of a cliff? Anyway, the guy manages to gather his footing and saves himself and Uncle L apologizes for getting so angry. He just doesn't like it when people don't pay attention when he's telling them things that will save their life, which is absolutely fair enough. Nancy doesn't let this angry episode pass her by and she makes a note of it. She doesn't see a connection between Uncle L and Lisa, but doesn't rule him out as a suspect entirely. 
They head back to Bess, who is flirting with yet another gorgeous man. They yet again tease Bess, and Bess tells them that she was actually working the case. Now, remember, I love how hard Bess works on cases. I feel like she's much more helpful than George is. Anyway, she tells the girls that a cutie, whose name is Jed, told her that Gil and Marva were having issues and have been for a while. George and Nancy brush it off and put it down to the problems at the club. Oh, I bet this will be important. Don't disregard my girl Bess's intel. Nancy heads off to investigate staff records, but overhears Marva and Gil fighting. Bess is right. All this couple does is fight. Gil is even heard saying, sometimes I could just kill you. Man, this guy is a total douche. Marva, you could do better. Marva sprouts off the typical lines of somebody in a bad relationship usually sprouts out. Gil really has my best interests at heart. He's so worried about me, he ends up yelling. Gil loves me and I love him. That really is the bottom line. Oh, my sweet angel, no. Don't let any man treat you like that. You're worth more than you think and you have an amazing company that you're running and you could do so much better than Gil. Ugh, poor Marva. Nancy gives up on going through the records and will come back to it later. She checks on Lisa. However, Lisa has been dispatched from the infirmary and calls the hospital to check on Larry only to learn that he's now in a coma. Okay, the person behind this could quickly be turning from a prankster into a murderer if that's actually their intent. So I take back what they said about being a bad murderer. It's time for another outfit change and this time Nancy's wearing white pants and a red knit shirt. Wearing white pants in the wilderness seems to be a bit counterintuitive, but if she's just doing detective work inside buildings, then I guess this outfit is okay. The girls chill out for a while. Bess is obsessed over this Jed guy that she's been talking to. Will there be a kiss in this book? I hope so. We're over overdue for a kiss in the book and I feel like I should stop tracking them because no one is getting any action. Speaking of kissing, Bess saw Sarah and Gil kissing. Okay, I hate this dude so much. What a player. You are engaged for goodness sakes. Cut out this rubbish or do mother a favor and just leave her. Ugh. Nancy wants to speak to Lisa. Nancy flat out accuses Lisa of tampering with her glider and sending threats for attention and is hoping that it gets back to her father. Okay, that is so bold of you, Nancy. Of course, Lisa freaks out and tells her none of this is true. Sure, she wants to hurt her father, but she wouldn't hurt herself in the process. She's actually really scared of the threats and the incident and wants the person behind it all caught. She tells Nancy that she will do whatever she can to help. And because of this, she, Nancy kind of like believes her and crosses her off as a suspect. Lisa also tells Nancy that Sarah is absolutely crazy over Gil despite him being engaged, even to the extent that she got Lisa, uh, angry at Lisa for allowing Gil to take her to the infirmary. All right, well, this is a big clue. Maybe Sarah wants Marva out of the way so she can have Gil all to herself. That's definitely a motive. Gil seems interested in Sarah too since Bess saw them smooching. Hmm, maybe Gil wants Marva to sell, he'll get half the money and then he'll leave her for Sarah. Okay, yes, the wheels are turning in my head and they are turning in Nancy's head too. Instead of straight up confronting Sarah, she goes to the third roommate, Kirsten, who gives us 
all the juicy goss. It turns out that she ran into Gil in his office and he was on edge and wanted to speak to someone and Kirsten was in the right place at the right time. Kirsten says, he showed me the letter he was holding. It was from a businessman, someone named Roger Coleman. This Coleman had made a really good offer to buy Marva out. I saw the figure on the letter and it was a lot of money. Gil was upset because Marva had turned the offer down cold. Interesting. She goes on. I know it sounds weird. I'm practically a stranger and here he was telling me all that personal stuff, but he was so mad at Marva and he lost control. Maybe he was mad enough to send those threats to the guests, you know, to scare Marva into accepting Coleman's office after all. Wow, 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 wow. Okay there. I agree with Kirsten. It all makes perfect sense. That is a perfect motive. However, it's never like the most obvious person. We know that, but I'm still thinking it's Gil right now. Kirsten doesn't know much about this Roger Coleman guy, except that he's got a reputation for being ruthless and will do whatever it takes to get his way. And as luck would have it, as they walk outside, who else rocks up but Roger Coleman himself? He's described as being late 30s, a tall, dark and handsome, dressed in tan pants, a blue silk shirt with a tailored raw silk jacket. Just imagine all those Instagram business gurus and you'll get the right idea of what this guy looks like. <laughs> He's looking for Marva and Nancy wonders if Marva has changed her mind. If so, she's going to be rich and as her husband, so will Gil. There is that theory again and Gil wants all the money. Gosh, detective, I really don't know. I feel the Gil theory is too obvious. Yes, he has access to everything in the resort and can leave the threats and whatnot, but why would he be stupid enough to kiss Sarah in public? Even if he was mad at Marva after the fight, it just makes no sense. I'm really lost. I still think Uncle L threw Nancy over the edge of the balcony, but that's all I'm sure of. Maybe Gil and L are working together? That would make a lot of sense. Roger Coleman is charming and friendly and Nancy warms to him. He's also aware of who Nancy is because Gil had told Roger Nancy is investigating. Alright, yep, I'm definitely still thinking Gil and Al are involved in this. Anyway, while Gil, Marva and Roger discuss selling, Nancy finally checks out the personnel files of the staff. Nothing stands out, not even in Uncle L's file. Gil's file, on the other hand, is somewhat interesting. He was a high-flying real estate agent, but traded it in to teach hang gliding at Club High Adventure. He met Marva while he was in college on a European bike tour. Nancy thinks that maybe he wants Marva to sell the clubhouse because he misses his old lifestyle. Seems like a lot of hard work, to be honest. Why not just call up an old contact and get a job in a luxury resort property like management business? Hmm, I don't know. Maybe he sees potential in a club high adventure, but in that case, why sell? Wouldn't you like make it the best club that it could possibly be and then sell if that what if that's what your previous career was? <sighs> I don't know. Anyway, she leaves the office and someone grabs her and throws a hood over her head and locks her in. All right, do you want to take a guess where they lock her in? The freezer. We knew it. They mention a broken freezer earlier on in the book and of course Nancy gets thrown and trapped in there. <laughs> Sometimes these books are so predictable. Nancy manages to escape being locked in the freezer by turning down the thermostat. Supposedly if a thermostat breaks on a freezer it will unlock. I have no idea if that's true or not. Regardless a hunk of meat saves Nancy's life as that's what she uses to break it. 
Just as well Nancy knew this little bit of information because those white pants and red knit top wouldn't be keeping her very warm. Nancy heads back to the cabin and puts a chair under the door because she knows that a lock won't save her. All those years of breaking into places have definitely taught Nancy well. Nancy runs herself a bath and goes over the case. All the clues lead to Gil. He'll know that the lock was broken. He wants Marva to sell and has access to all areas of the resort. Uh, Nancy leaves the bath and it's party time. So she dresses in a flowered skirt and a pale green scoop neck top, which goes well with her red gold hair. Someone actually said to me the other day that they wish they were a redhead so that they could wear green. This comment surprised me because I'm so hopeless with fashion. I have no ideas what colors go with my complexion and coloring. And I also always just end up wearing black because it's easy and I don't have to think too hard. At the party, she runs into Roger, who is still there. He stayed because the fog uh, will affect him flying out on his private jet and then offers to dance with Nancy. And then this weird situation occurs when numerous people come in and cut in and dance with Nancy. I see this a lot in TVs, uh, TVs, in movies and TV shows, but do people really dance with people and swap partners and stuff? It seems so weird and awkward. Maybe I'm just the weird and awkward one. Anyway, she eventually dances with Gil, who ensures her that he loves Martha, money or no money, and to keep his infidelity on the download. Oh, and he's not responsible for all the incidents. Yeah, right, Gil. Sure, you love her. You just cheat on her in public where she'll easily find out. Ugh. At least, like, if you're cheating in private, it's less likely that they will find out and therefore not, like, publicly humiliate her and hurt her. Marva asks Nancy what they were talking about. Nancy assures her that Gil loves her. And then they notice the light to Marva's window is on, despite Marva remembering to turn it off. They go and check it out, only to find that the office has been ransacked and nothing is missing except a photo of her and her father and a bunch of other people on Devil's Rock, the place where Uncle Al held his rock climbing lesson. Marva can't remember who the other men in the photo are. She just likes the photo because it's of her and her father. It's been a really long night and the girls are eating cookies in their cabin discussing the case. Nancy saw Roger Coleman and Uncle L talking to each other at the dinner party and this makes her want to investigate Uncle L's cabin. Nancy lockpicks the door. Why doesn't she just ask Marva for a key? Although Marva probably doesn't want people walking into the guest cabins willy-nilly. Still, I wouldn't be happy with someone snooping through my staff even if they were kind of detecting... I mean, it really is a like invasion of guest privacy. So I don't know. Don't don't ask, don't tell type of thing. I guess is happening here. Uncle Al's cabin is spotless except for a glass left on the counter and half a burned photo in the fireplace, which Nancy bets is the missing photo from Marva's office. She can see people standing on a cliff and half of a child. But why does Uncle Al have this? It makes no sense, but as always, yet again, Nancy is about to get busted being where she's not supposed to be. Like I said earlier, whenever she breaks into somewhere, the person always returns. How is she going to escape this time? Not only that, Bess and George are with her. Uh, Bess and George manage to bolt to the bedroom and climb out a window before Uncle L walks into the cabin. Nancy hides behind the kitchen counter. Thankfully, Uncle L doesn't see her. She grabs the glass off the counter and bolts when Uncle L heads to the bedroom. 
So many close calls in this book. Uncle L is a big dude. I wouldn't want to come face to face with him after breaking into his apartment. Why does Uncle L have this photo? And why did Nancy take this glass? Well, it turns out that she wants to take the hour and a half drive to Portland to get the prints checked in the morning. Okay, you can't just take a glass and be like, hey, can you fingerprint this thing for me? Like, that's just so bizarre. She figures she'll drop Bess and George off at the library to do all the hard work, aka go over microfilms of newspapers to see if there are any interesting events that happened at the time the photo was taken about 18 years ago. Uh, I'm sure a lot of stuff happened 18 years ago, but I guess Nancy isn't going to stumble across the answer to the mystery in this book. Some actual work will have to be done. So I just said, how is Nancy going to convince the police to just fingerprint this glass? Well, it turns out she's able to get full police cooperation by dropping her father's name. Big surprise. (laughs) When she gets to the station, Detective Claudio O'Keefe tells her Chief McGuinness from River Heights speaks highly of Nancy. Chief McGuinness appeared in a lot of the original series, but not so often in the files. I can only think of a couple of cases where he's mentioned. Trial by Fire, I believe, is one of them. Circle of Evil, possibly as well. I know Detective John Ryan was in that one. I don't know if they mentioned the chief. And also possibly Endangered in disguise. I do remember it happening, like seeing Chief McGuinness recently. Also, I thought that Marva didn't want the police involved and Nancy just goes straight against her wishes. I guess Nancy needed fingerprints. Only if it was that easy for the rest of us to just get fingerprints taken. (laughs) While waiting for the fingerprint testing to come back, she goes to check on Bess and George and just as they're about to give up, a headline pops out. Gruesome murder at Club High Adventure on top of Deadly Devil's Rock. Okay, detective, here is our big clue. Surely the threats and incidents have something to do with this article. Let's find out what happened. The article reads, Seattle computer entrepreneur E. Raymond Jensen was killed in a 190-footfall yesterday morning during an ascent of Devil's Rock, a popular climber's landmark 18 miles south of Newport. Jensen's business partner, Eldon Hunsfield, has been arrested on suspicion of murder. The 43-year-old entrepreneur may have been pushed to his death. Lincoln County Sheriff's deputies have Hunsfield of a Bright Bite Corporation in custody. The two men had been vacationing at Club High Adventure, the luxury resort catering to lovers of risky sports. An eyewitness to the fall was the club owner's seven-year-old daughter whose name is currently being withheld. If the little girl hadn't seen the whole thing, we would have written this off as just another climbing incident, Sheriff Mike Parker said. Jensen and Hunsfield were scaling the cliff face before the summit when the young witness says she saw Hunsfield loosen the pit and holding his partner's safety line. Hunsfield, according to the girl, then attacked Jensen, causing the victim to plummet to a ledge nearly 200 feet below. They said it was 190 foot before, and now the article's saying 200 feet. Okay, I guess they say nearly, but still. Anyway... (laughs) The article continues, Hunfield has denied the charges claiming that the Pinton was coming loose. Is it Pitton? Pitton? Python Was coming loose under the strain of Jensen's weight and that he was trying to save the man when he fell. Oof. Okay. Well, so this Hunfield bloke would have gotten away with murder had Marva not had told officers otherwise. Nancy deducts that this Hunsfield person is responsible for all the threats and incidents and that the target is actually Marva. He wants revenge for placing him in jail. And then Nancy figures out that Eldon Hunsfield sounds a lot like Al Hunt. 
Aha, uh -huh. Uncle L is responsible. L Hunt, Uncle L. He stole all the photos so Marva wouldn't put two and two together and recognize him. The hang gliding was meant for Marva as she hang glides too. And as for Larry, only staff were meant to be on the track. Marva was behind Larry and the trap was meant for her. Nancy, that is really genius work. I thought Uncle L might have been responsible, but I had no theory as to why. And even reading this article, I wouldn't have figured out that Alden Huntsfield was Uncle L. Nancy heads back to the station to let Detective Claudio Keefe know her theory and the fingerprints results come back. They are Eldon Huntsfield's, confirming Nancy's suspicion. Eldon Huntsfield is Uncle L. Oh my goodness. This is amazing work, Nancy. Well done. I still don't understand why you figured you'll get the prints, but bravo, it paid off. I'm super proud of how this was solved. All the clues actually fit together. Suddenly, George remembers that Marva has a rock climbing class with Uncle L this afternoon at 3 p.m. It's 1.40 now. It takes an hour and a half to get back to the resort. They will never make it in time. They rush back to Club High Adventure, battling fog. Remember, uh, Roger Coleman couldn't go back because there was fog and slow cars. When they arrive back at the club, the hiking or rock climbing group rather has already left, but Gil tells them to take a fire road up the mountain. Nancy manages to crash the Jeep when she's halfway up on a rock. I really hope she has insurance and runs the rest of the way. When she reaches the top, she sees Marva just about to rappel down the cliff. Nancy dives and grabs Marva just in time. Her theory was correct. Uncle Al had tampered with her carabiner, used to keep her safe. She would have fallen to her death. Good work, Nancy, just in the nick of time. Suddenly, Uncle L rushes towards them. He slips a rock climbing harness on himself and Marva and then goes over the cliff. Nancy asks the group at the top of the cliff how to use the ropes and harness to get down to the cliff where uh, Marva and Uncle L are resting on a wide ledge. No one helps her, telling her that if she needs to ask how to do it, it's not safe. I mean, Nancy would, I can just imagine Nancy being like, I can do anything, just do it. So like this group doesn't tell her how to use a rock climbing harness and whatnot. Like I swear Nancy knows how to rock climbing. How can she not know? <sighs> anyway. Also, she had a rock climbing lesson. Surely she remembers something about it. I guess she was busy paying attention to the two boys that Uncle L got mad at instead of the class. Well, Nancy, that will teach you for not paying attention in class. Suddenly, Gil appears in the air. Nancy figures he's going to land on the ledge and save Marva, but before he gets a chance, Uncle L pulls out a gun and shoots Gil, who collapses in the glider mid-air. <laughs> By some miracle, the wind changes direction and the glider glides towards Devil Rock, where the group grab him and begin first aid. That is so lucky. Oh my gosh, imagine if that happened in real life. So many near-death experiences happening all at once. We've got Marva and Al on the edge of the cliff. We've got Gil being shot mid-air. <laughs> this book is wild, but the wildest thing is about to happen. Remember how Gil said Nancy was a natural despite only doing ground exercises with the hang glider? Well, I guess you all know what's about to happen. And that's right, Nancy is going to get on a hang glider and maneuver herself to the ledge and rescue Marva. Like, what on earth? This is just reckless. Nancy, this is literally a death wish. What are you going to do when you land? Uncle L is a tank of a man and he has a gun. Not only can he shoot you, he can just push you over the edge along with Marva. So Nancy gets on the glider minus the harness. Yes, minus the harness. She doesn't have time. She just needs to hang glide down and save the day. 
Thankfully, while Uncle Al is distracted by Nancy flying about, Marva kicks the gun out of his hands. All right, good work, Marva. At least she's not a helpless victim. I really love smart people. I have no idea what I'd be like in this situation, though. Nancy then realizes that the glider is too big to land on the ledge, and just as well she didn't put the harness on because she lets go and pummels into Al, knocking him off his feet. Oh my gosh, this is absolutely ridiculous. When I think that these books couldn't have got any more outrageous final scenes, another book comes out and just knocks me off my feet. What on actual earth? This would never happen in real life. Nancy then karate kicks Uncle L, which causes him to hit his head on a boulder and pass out. Thankfully, he's going to stay passed out until they are able to be rescued. The police take Uncle L away and the case is solved. Uncle L played the long game to get back at Marva. He was really determined to get his revenge. So after he got out of jail, he got a job and pretended to be friends and got to know the resort and figured out the best way to get rid of her. So he's quite a genius. I guess he's very angry for placing, for Marva placing him in jail. The book ends and they are all sitting around and Gil promises that he won't bother Marva about selling anymore and that he loves her and will no longer cheat. I still think that Marva should get rid of him, but if she wants to forgive him, that's her decision. And as for Nancy, Bess and George, they're going to stay a few days at the resort and have a vacation, which is actually well deserved. Bess will continue to flirt with boys while Nancy and George will go off and have adventures. So that is the end of the book. Despite the final scene being absolutely stupid, ridiculous, would never happen, just similar to the endings of Sinister Paradise, like that one still sticks out on the edge of in my mind. And uh, uh, what was that book? The one with the emeralds and the ship. I can't remember the name of it now. Um, the ending scene in that book was also ridiculous. <laughs> I guess it I guess it's fiction and it makes the books exciting and thrilling. It's like, oh, however will it end? It just also seems insane and crazy and I'm just like, what? <laughs> um, and I'm really disappointed to say that there was no kisses in this book. Surely Bess could have kissed one of the cute boys at the club. So we're still on our total of four for Bess, Ned and Nancy, and George has three. What else do I think about this book? Um, I liked that they actually had to do work to solve the mystery. And if it wasn't for having the idea of going to the library and searching for incidents, they would have never had ever solved the case. Solved the case. So yay, good work, Bess and George. Well done. I must be missing something. I don't know why Nancy figured to get fingerprints from the glass like I don't know her theory like there was no other fingerprints anywhere else that could have helped her it just makes no sense I mean it paid out in the end but yeah it seems it's just a huge plot hole there I wish that Bess and George played more of a part in solving the mystery instead of being in the background I found it annoying that Nancy didn't tell Bess and George what she was doing it's always good to like check in with your friends and you know, just for your own safety. So I found that a bit weird. (sighs) As for near-death experiences, well, there was quite a few. Three, in fact. We had Nancy being locked in a freezer, being thrown over the edge of a balcony and down a cliff, and we also had the hang gliding incident at the end. Like, that was just dangerous. I don't care if, like, she almost died. Thankfully, it went well, but... 
It's a near-death experience in my book, bringing the grand total to 87. Once again, thank you very much for joining me on this case, which was case 36, Over the Edge. I'm glad that I finally read it and it doesn't keep appearing in my face now. Uh, The next case will be case 37, The Last Dance. So join me then. Again, if you enjoy the podcast, don't forget to subscribe and leave a review on iTunes or your podcasting platform of choice. It would mean the world to me. And if you want to chat to me, feel free to email me hello at nancydrewpodcast.com. I love talking Nancy Drew with my fellow detective. Thank you very much and I'll see you next time. Bye, detective.